Warning, the Thin Blue Lion podcast, Jack McAvoy, contains adult content. Jack and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. As I typed, the picture of my brother kept coming back to me. Now that sterile, lifeless photo bothered me. For I had believed it impossible. I had let him down. And now I felt a keen sense of guilt. It was my brother in that car. My twin. It was me. Hello, and welcome back to the Thin Blue Line Podcast, Family Edition. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. And joining me today is my lovely wife, Cheryl. I'm Cheryl Parker, I'm the wife of Philip Parker for 28 years, and uh, the mother of my two beautiful children, Philip and Sydney Parker. My son, Philip. I'm Philip Parker, the oldest of the Parker children. I have 30 plus years of being a Parker child and being a, a, a child of a police officer. And my daughter, Sydney. Hi, my name is Sydney Parker, and I'm new to podcasting um, and policing. So um, it's, a, it's a Harry Bosch, and a, well, not Harry Bosch, but Michael Connolly. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod and our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are set up just for our fans. Also, join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content where you will find more detailed experience concerning Jack McAvoy and Michael Connolly. Now all that bullshit's out the way, it's time to get to work and probe into chapters five through eight of The Poet. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we explored how the irony of grief is that the person that we need to talk to about how we feel is the person who's no longer here. Shape chapters one through four of The Poet. And today we will continue our deep dive into chapters five through eight. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It's our intentions to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens. So please proceed with caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Jack McAvoy. It's time to open up the murder book and turn the pages to the chronological record so we can do an investigative summary of the information gathered thus far in these chapters. After viewing the files of his brother's death, Jack decides to gather additional information concerning the death of Teresa Lofton and how it could have affected Sean. 
Jack was able to convince Detective Wexler to give him one hour to review the official Lofton investigative file. Upon viewing the photo of Lofton, Jack understood why the Lofton investigation had gripped Sean so much. Lofton was a spitting image of Sean's wife, Riley. Jack proceeded to the lake where Sean was found. Upon questioning Park Police Officer Pena, Jack established the windows of Sean's car were fogged and the doors were locked. As pedophiles are apt to do, Gladden posted himself at a spot advantageous for taking photos of minors. Shortly thereafter, Gladden deciphers that he himself is being watched by two police officers. A chase ensues, but Gladden is taken into custody, but not before Gladden was able to erase all of the images on his camera. While preparing to write a news story of Sean's death, Jack comes across the suicide of a Chicago detective that was similar to Sean's. Both detectives worked a high-profile investigation, both were seeking counseling, and both wrote suicide notes that had passages from Edgar Allan Poe poems. to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues with a defining theme for chapters five through eight of The Poet Is. There are only two mistakes one can make on the road to truth, not going all the way and not starting. Hello. And welcome back to the Thin Blue Line podcast, Jack McAvoy. And we're going to start this episode off with just, you know, we're going to go over chapters five through eight. And just to get an overall impression so far of five through eight and the book and how it's developing. Um, Philip, what do you think so far after the first eight chapters and specifically five through eight? Is there any insight? Um, insight, no. Um, I did a... I, my favorite chapter is chapter seven by far, but um, I think Sydney said last um, episode that um, one thing Michael Carley is doing very well mm-hmm. is uh, giving us a clear description of the characters. Yeah. Um, also giving us an in-depth um, analysis of Jack's mentality. Right. Um, I don't think anything. Uh, from this point up, we have to wonder about Jack because Jack lets us know exactly how he feels in that moment. Right, right. So I think uh, Michael Conley did an excellent job of building that rapport with the his audience of letting uh, the audience know of exactly how each character is built. What about you, Sydney? Any insights? So uh, while last week's episode we were focusing um, a lot on grief yeah I felt like these this set of chapters this set of four chapters was focusing a lot on guilt um, and even the last passage of chapter eight um, the last paragraph was very much about the guilt that 
Jack was feeling, but right. that was a feeling that was throughout all four chapters, and it translated in a lot of different ways. The Jack, the, the guilt that Jack was feeling, the guilt that um, a lot of police officers were mm -hmm. feeling because of the different cases they weren't able to close. Uh, it was just a, a regular theme. Oh, and also, I don't know if Gladden felt guilty necessarily, but definitely was painted to be guilty in the right. seventh chapter. So it was just, that was the main theme I saw from this week's chapter. What about your mom? Um, I, I agree with both Sydney and Philip. Um, I think um, if I was to add anything to that, it would be, I felt these four chapters were about investigation, you know, because Jack was concentrating on his craft, mm -hmm. concentrating on getting um, more details to connect to his brother's, um, his brother's death. I think although he had said to his editor that uh, his brother, he was confident that his brother did commit suicide, in the back of his mind he wasn't confident right. because he kept going and he kept looking for something to change his mind. And so I think that was kind of what I looked at as the theme was at the end of these chapters that we read, were we going to get to a point where he was going to change his mind on whether or not his brother committed suicide? And mm -hmm. a part of me was thinking along, I think it was chapter, I think it was chapter six, mm -hmm. uh, when he was talking to his editor, I think that Jack just said that previously in order for... Um, his editor to get off his back a little bit. I think he was still kind of undecided right. at the at the at the point in time if it was a suicide or not. I think he was just saying it was a suicide because that's was a that's what it was initially ruled as. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think as time progressed, I think that's when he started the maturation process. That I don't think this was just. A suicide. I think it was. It's more to the story mm -hmm. than just a plain old suicide. Right. Mm -hmm. I think when he initially said that, I think it was just more of a uh, get off my case type of a thing. Right. Yeah. Just I to think, give myself more time. I think it, he said something that 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 proves that, fellow Vincent. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it. I think you were right. He needed his time to grieve. Correct. And his super his um editor was like, he's looking for the next story. We need story. a story. Yeah. Right, we need a story. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Did you guys, before we get into the actual conversation, did you guys understand or appreciate in this day and age of Google search, the LexisNexis and all of the different databases that were in CD-ROM? Did you guys pick that up? And, and, and did you do you remember that at all? I do, I do. I remember, I remember actually floppy desk. <laughs> but, so, um, when in back in one of the chapters, the editorial librarian she um, looked up something for Jack, and um, she was well, she had to pull from mm -hmm. was a CD. Well, she asked she, she asked Jack if he wanted to put on CD wrong, right? Which you know nobody ever does anymore. So yeah. to see that implemented, it does kind of take you a blast from the past. But I'm of the elk, where I remember <laughs> actually three and a half inch floppy desk. Right. You know, saving information on that. So I don't even think computers come equipped with those anymore. Well, you know, also to her job title now, do you have to have, I mean, back when I first started as a police officer, we had um, people who typed up our reports. Mm -hmm. And then the advent of the word processor kind of got rid of them. And then 
then it, it, tra- it kept moving along. So you don't have to do a person do research for you anymore. Uh, so much as you could do it yourself. And you know, you know, LexisNexis. I mean, even though it's still available, uh, I think today for the information highway or, or the in- internet, Google has supplanted LexisNexis in just a broad range of access to the internet mm-hmm. and information. So I, I, I really, I like that. Um, it just, it just brought back memories. But as we started to go into chapter five. What did you, how did you, did you guys see the, uh, or still feel the heat between Wexler and St. Louis when it, gave, when it came to giving Jack some information? Sydney? Yeah. I did, uh, but it did rule out Wex as a suspect. <laughs> You actually thought Wex was a suspect. I did. I mean, I think everybody thought that everybody was a suspect last episode. And um, this conversation did rule it out for me because of the fact that he started to call back by his name again. Mm -hmm. uh, And he was willing to show the case files to Mm -hmm. Jack. What did seem suspicious to me was that St. Louis was so abrasive mm-hmm. and didn't even come to when they started to show the files. Right. So, uh, but it was it was interesting that they were still, they, you know, Wex said that he was so close to Sean that he was a friend, like a brother, and probably knew him more than mm. Jack did. Yeah, he did say and that. it made me question, okay, well, if, if that was the case, then why aren't you as passionate about his death right. as his actual brother? Right. Did you did you like how Jack kept pushing for more time to look at the file? Yes. I thought that was you know he said, and but but he kept saying no. And right. if you keep keep talking, now you only got well, fifty nine minutes. Fifty nine minutes. Right. You know. Actually, I'll go back to before then, before he got the file when. Um, Jack met up with St. Louis and Wex in the diner, mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the diner, and the looks that St. Louis was giving Jack mm-hmm. when um, when Wex asked him to step out for a bit so they could talk amongst right. themselves. And remember, Jack was sitting on the outside, yeah. So he had to get up right. and let St. Louis out in order to get. Out of the booth, right, right, right. And then the look that St. Louis gave Jack, yeah. you know, it's just you it's can, palpable. You, you can feel that animosity yeah, between the two. Yeah, it's palpable. Which actually made me kind of put St. Louis, it kind of pegged St. Louis up a little bit <laughs> on my suspect board. Okay, can we do something? Because Mom does the same thing. Could y'all just read the book? I'm sorry. To I, 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 no, we can't. Okay. We can't read the book and not try to figure out who did it. We I know can't. it's a crime. Yes. We know someone did it. So we can't do that. So stop it. Because y'all read the book like, is it him? Is it him? But that's our choice. I know it's your choice. I'm just laughing at it. Can okay. I laugh at your choice? You I'm can. sorry. I did rule out Wex. I did rule out Wex as a, as a suspect. <laughs> but I picked... St. Louis up there as a possible suspect just because mm-hmm. of the heat he been throwing towards Jack's way. Right. I don't like it. There was this line that really like sparked my suspicions. Go ahead. Wex is saying from the book. From the book, you're forgetting something. Your brother was ruled a suicide. Case closed. It doesn't matter what hooked him about Lofton. Besides, it's not known as fact that it had anything to do with what he did. It's collateral at best, but we'll never know. And 
Then Jack says, cut the crap. I just saw the file on Sean. And Wex's eyebrows went up. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, why were you even trying to hide that? That Lofton's murder had nothing to do with it. Well, see, but I think Michael Conley's doing a great job of pitting the, the, the cop versus the reporter animosity towards each other. And that they don't trust each other. And that's what I think St. Louis's angst is right now. He thinks that Jack is pimping his brother's death to sell newspaper. Right. That's what I'm oh, thinking. Okay. So he's like, you know, so remember yes. Michael Connolly was a reporter, or is a reporter, or was a reporter. And so he's dealt that, he felt that yin and yang and that, that push and pull when it comes to law enforcement. Because even a couple of times so far, he goes, hold on, am I talking to Sean's brother right. or am I talking to the reporter? He did say that. Right. You know, so, mm -hmm. that's, so that's what's building up so far and with Mike, the layers that Michael Connolly is laying down for us. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I think you, you, I know how we felt last on the la first four chapters that they weren't being. I, Who's I, that? I, the police officers okay. who worked with Sean weren't being um, passionate enough to find out who his killer was. But I feel now part of that is they're grieving. You know, I feel like they can't deal with the fact that he killed himself, mm -hmm. so they just don't want to deal with it at all. Right. So I'm kind of rethinking where those thoughts came from. But I, I feel, I, I would think that they would want to find out who, who killed him if they didn't think that. But, but then they might be afraid to find out if, that yeah. he actually killed himself. Right. So they just want to leave it alone itself. Well, it goes back to that mm -hmm. same thing I said last podcast about, you know, coronavirus, mm -hmm. you know, COVID-19. That cops like, I don't want to catch the whatever got him so messed up in the head. I don't want it to killed, happen to me. I don't want it to happen to mm -hmm. me. I had a question. They, mm -hmm. from the book, it was said that they were having this back and forth at the restaurant where in uh, Sean, Jack is comparing himself to his brother. He compares himself to his brother a lot throughout a lot. these four chapters, which makes me understand that we're going to spend the entire book learning about Sean through the eyes of Jack and yeah. through mm -hmm. Jack's actions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, even even later on, we hear somebody say, um, you know, twins are not, you're a lot like your brother by the Buex. But uh, Jack has a, has a funny way of saying this earlier in chapter five where he was saying I was always the finesse player Sean was mm -hmm. the straight he was football I was basketball and I wanted to ask you guys like which which why do you guys fall on like do you guys feel like you're more finesse or more straight you mean in our relationship or or just in general in general, in general. um um <laughs> I guess I, I think I'm more finesse. Duh. Yeah, I think I'm more finesse. Mm -hmm. Why did they take that little? I'm about to say. <laughs> you know? Well, because I didn't want you to think I didn't think I was strong. I think I'm strong. Look, well, but I, I didn't look at when she said strong. I, I was thinking, well, you could be have a strong personality and have be finesse. See me, I'm I'm a sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I smash down and I'm a bull in the china closet. You're more of a a, a, a a Ginzu knife, you know. You cut, you know. You know. Once you you don't feel you cut, but then all of a sudden, you got to pull the blood on the side. So, <laughs> what do you guys think about yourselves? Mm -hmm. Well, I think I'm a I'm I'm strength. Um, well, you know what? I take it back. I can I can I have a little finesse to my game, but. 
We have a lot of finesse. Yeah, I was about to say, I think you fall a lot more on finesse. On finesse. Because yeah. you're a charmer, man. You've been charming me forever. Okay, well, there you go. The family speaks. I, I def, I don't know. I actually don't know what I am. I, I do feel as if I try to be a finesser as much as possible, but sometimes I can be very, um, Hard-headed. I actually had that, <laughs> I, I actually had that same phrase highlighted um, that Sean was the strength, he was football, I was basketball. But I had it highlighted for different reasons. Well, okay, what, what you had it highlighted for? So I was conflicted because um, I didn't I didn't know. Okay, why did he have? Why why is Jack having these revelations after the fact. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of the part of the grieving is you thinking back and you assessing, you know, the time that you lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but if he knew that he was one thing and if he knew he was one thing and Sean was another, why did they have the kind of relationship that they had? Right. If they, if he knew, if he, if I knew my place, if I know my place, Sydney knows her place in our in each other's lives, then that should make things a little bit less complicated. Jack is telling us he knew who each who each brother was. Right. So why didn't he have the forefront? Why didn't they have the forefront to, to match, talk to each other? To well, you know what? Well, mm -hmm. and that actually that actually segments into what happens at the. And I think the answer to that. It's starting to be revealed in chapter six. So what happened? Listen, so put 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 on pause. Oh yeah. And so mom, before last yeah. podcast, you really had a problem with the Forest Ranger and the shack and where uh, where, where Sean was uh, was parked. Oh yeah. And then so in chapter six, so let's, for the audience can understand is that now Sean. It's got the mission. I'm going to be an investigative reporter. I'm going to investigate this case myself. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I have to do is go back to, to the scene. scene of the crime mm -hmm. and then see if I can find any revelations. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, and I was going to ask you, did you sneak that? Did you, did you, did you look ahead? I did not. I'm asking. Okay. I, mean, I asked the question. <laughs> did you look ahead? Because I, last podcast, well, it was very insightful. That's what mm -hmm. I'm going to say. It was very insightful mm -hmm. on your part mm -hmm. because Sean actually, excuse me, Jack actually had the same thoughts of, and he started questioning, I think his name is Pena, the, 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 Pena. Park, mm -hmm. the park ranger mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. And I, I immediately thought about you, how you you were like, what's up with this park ranger? What do you mean he didn't see this? And what do you mean he didn't see that? And so evidently Jack is having the same question because he kind of questions Pena also. Mm -hmm. And I, I bet... Um I, 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 I did notice that I highlighted that too. But Philip, going back to what you were saying, and your dad was making a really good point in regards to why the answer did come up later to why Jack why Jack is talking through his grief now instead of talking to his brother when he was alive. I think a lot of it had to deal with the death of his sister. Right. right. No, then, I got yeah. that. Well, that's why I was bringing it up. Oh, yeah. At the, at the mm -hmm. time that that passage came up, that's what, I, it was running through my head. That's what was running through my head. That's what made me highlight that particular section is because I was trying to figure out why he was thinking about that at yeah. that point in time. Right. But I, I think grief is so hard. And the blessing for you and Sydney is that you haven't lost 
anyone immediately close to you. So I don't think you can really connect with, I can't even connect with the loss of a sibling. So, and I think when you're having disagreements and family, you always re regret. You, you Even though you can go back and say, I wish I coulda, woulda, mm -hmm. the reality is we're just stubborn as people. Right. And we don't think, we don't value time. Mm -hmm. And so when time gets away from us, we regret, but you can't do anything about it. When it's gone, yeah. So, yeah, so I think, um, I, I, I think that it is, uh, that's how I looked at that. I mm -hmm. see your point, but that's how I looked at that is that I have sympathy for him because of the fact that he can't go talk to his brother. So I feel like he's talking through his thoughts now mm -hmm. to really um, work through his own grief. Mm -hmm. So Cindy, how did you take the revelation about how Bear Lake was important to the whole backstory on the, the sister and all that kind of stuff? Did you, did that hit you, did it shock you? It it did. I when as I was reading it, I almost even missed it because it was such a mm -hmm. subtle uh, mention. Mm -hmm. But I went back and read it again, and I don't know if it was at that moment that his mother had called him. Maybe it was no, it was later on. Right. But it was very interesting, and I wanted to understand: Did the poet know this about Sean beforehand, and right. that's why he ended up there, or well, did? Did, was it just a really odd coincidence because it's a prominent lake in their town? So, so, so right now, again, just to for the audience to understand, you and Philip don't have any idea of what happened with Sean and why he ended up there. So you're thinking, to make sure you're thinking, your question to me and mom is that the poet, um, did he have some insight on Sean's, excuse me, on, yeah, on Sean's background and put him there at the lake? Especially because we're going to find out later on in chapters that there's just, it's it's oddly coincidental that the poet knew which officers were dealing with these issues. Mm -hmm. uh, he must have had more background information on them than we could think. And I'm wondering how he might have gotten that information, what type of position he's in. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not too far out to think that he would know that bit of information about Sean's family, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the case. It, it, but that's what it, that part got me thinking. It's part mm -hmm. that. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. I would be totally mm -hmm. honest. I didn't get any of that reading it, uh, reading it through. Got it. Chapter six got me sketchy on <laughs> the park ranger. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, the that's park ranger. Because, <laughs> because, no, I mean, because. It when, made me less sketchy. Now, now when I first, because I, I did go back and I've read these four chapters twice. Mm -hmm. So the first time I read it through, it just, it, I, I honed on the fact of how, um, just, just how long it took for the park ranger to answer Jack's initial questions. Right. Um, how he was thinking about his answers before he gave them. How he was looking at his watch. How he was looking at his watch. <laughs> how he was stumbling to lock up. Like that, all that kind of stuff. It just, it just, that's what got me. So oh, each page that you turn is, uh, I'm anticipating some, uh, like another key factor. Like, yep. It's him. Right. Like, you know, it's I was just checking him off. Mm -hmm. So I, I had missed that initially. <laughs> but when I had went back and I had read it, that's when um, it started to sink in that that was the lake that his sister had, had died and um, how much uh, it actually tormented Sean mm -hmm. um, in that 
in that, oh, how much it could have tormented Sean in that setting. Um, and that that's a lot to wait to bear on not only Sean, but on Jack as well to have two siblings. Mm-hmm. Right. Lost the same lake, mm-hmm. so wow. um, mm-hmm. that's what's it. Yeah, that's that, that. That is true. I didn't even think about that. Right. He lost two siblings so, there. In, in that same lake. one in the water and one just there. Just there. Yeah. So wow. um, it, 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 it it just goes to show. I, I quick backstory. I called I called my father um, after after reading the first one. I was I, I really wanted to keep going on the book. But it just goes to show you how you can read something and then mm-hmm. miss it entirely. Because like I said, when I had first went through I had missed that key subtle fact mm-hmm. the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. I was so focused in on one other thing that I f- fully missed it. And they, I, it took me to go back and read a second time to catch that little fact. Right. One, oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. One little fact that I also got from the very end of that... Uh, passage that might put the park ranger in a bad light although everything that i was seeing he seemed like he was less and less guilty because he was just old and lackadaisical and could forget things but maybe i'm giving him too much of a benefit of the doubt but he did say one thing that led me to another clue and i've been just highlighting like mom said (laughs) Mm -hmm. the different clues throughout the book i like that go ahead so Jack asks, do you want to ride, I guess, to his car? Mm-hmm. And the park ranger says, nah, thanks, though. The trail will get me quicker. Get mm. me there quicker. Mm-hmm. And it said to me, you know, this trail could have been the escape path for whoever the poet is. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. It was, That's a good one. And it was just, it, I found it funny, just one last tidbit from this passage was, I found it funny that Jack took off running, trying to see how fast he could get to the woods. <laughs> Without the jacket. Without the jacket. I was like, Jack, what, is, what are you doing over there? So I, it, it just, I loved how he committed mm. to really try to put himself in the mind of whoever might have killed Sean. Yeah. And then really coming to the conclusion that, you know, maybe it was a suicide. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, as we keep going on in this chapter, would you, Mom, what do you think about uh, Sean's interaction with, um, excuse me, Jack's interaction with Sean's wife, Riley? Wow, that was powerful. Right. Because I, I, she, he reminded us that he's a twin. Mm-hmm. So Riley is basically looking at her husband. Right. He's an identical twin. So just him coming to her door is shocking and, and grief for her. Right. And then she... She, I just felt sad for her because she, she can't, she's like, you're making, you're trying to make me remember what, what's happened and why it happened. And I'm just wanting him to be here. So I, I wish you would just basically leave me alone. Um, and it just made me feel sad. But the other piece, and I think I highlighted it is that she looks like Teresa Lofton. Exactly. Teresa Lofton was a 19-year-old version of her. Right. And so that was a very key clue to why um, Sean was so passionate about the young lady, maybe. Right. Because of the fact that she reminded him of his young wife, you Mm -hmm. know, when they were younger. Mm -hmm. This was important to me, and I want to go back to a part of Chapter 5 where he's actually looking at the case files Mm -hmm. because it did speak a lot to me just 
I remember last episode, I said that my person to keep a lookout for was Teresa. And I believe just because I felt like a real connection to her and I felt it even more so in this passage too. A fresh faced young girl with a whole life ahead of hers, what Michael Connelly writes in the book describing mm -hmm. her. And it really connected to me because she was a college student. She was young. She was just, she was, she had a job uh, going to school and she was, it, it seemed as if she was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, it, 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 yeah, that's, that was something that, that just truly connected to me, especially in that moment too, when he goes to visit Riley. Right. Yeah. And you bring me to the point, I noticed we both highlighted the same thing in the book because we're, Sydney and I are sharing a book, um, is that when he, when they talk about her, she and they give a description of her life i i felt teresa lofton's life i felt like i, I it kind of connected me to what you said sydney last um go around i think it was chapter three mm -hmm. where we realized that that gladden person mm -hmm. is probably someone who did kill teresa because uh, I highlighted that she was a, a, a worked daycare. in a daycare. Mm -hmm. And so she could have been in the wrong place at the wrong time if he was um, hovering over that daycare yes. to take right. children. Mm -hmm. We'll probably right. so, we'll right. get into it more in chapter seven, but mm -hmm. it seems as if these, this is, there's a network of mm -hmm. pedophiles yep. and yep. they work off of locations. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think that this daycare was a location of theirs. Well, so, Bob, you know, as we get to chapter six, is there something that you that you thought was interesting about chapter six? Yes, um, I wanted to talk about the Kapok fibers. Okay, they were fibers that Michael Connolly wrote in the in the wrote about that he, he described them as were uncommon and primarily found in materials requiring buoyancy, such as boat cushions, life vests, and sleeping bags. Those That was the fiber that they found on Teresa yes. when they found her in the park, I think. Um, but it made me think about the fact that if she was there, it, it, you know, in, in some sort of boat, I'm like, it made me think about the lake. Like, mm -hmm. was she, was mm. that lake significance not only to just Sean, but was there, is there some sort of, it, it, there has to be some place where there's a boat maybe that this killer is killing, you know, killed this person. That's so that's kind of, kind of looked at that, but, um, Well, yeah. it's fair because mm -hmm. they kept bringing up that there's another place that she died that mm -hmm. wasn't where they found her, which right. was the park. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't really pinpoint what it was, but mm -hmm. maybe it was the lake. Yeah. Or somewhere Or some sort of body of yeah. water. Um, there's the P, no, the pier was in Santa Monica. So right. no, I, I just, um, I just thought that was interesting. I thought it was something he was foreshadowing. Like yeah, he's yeah, trying yeah, yeah, to yeah. tell us something. Yeah. Well, you, and you, so I just wanted to mention it. Well, you, what you do is you start to look at Michael Conley with a weary eye. You're like, is he set me up with something? Yeah. <laughs> right. well, yeah. well, let's go ahead and dovetail into the chapter seven. Chapter seven to me was an OMG for me so far in these, these four chapters. And one of the, uh, I'm always marveled, I always marveled that Michael Connelly will go there. Mm. You know, so far when I did his four books prior to that, he always talked about social justice, the inequalities of the brown and black people, talking about it back in the 90s. And you know how, you know, it, he actually went there. He went there talking about the social oaks that was happening. The fact that he went there 
and I felt so uncomfortable when he described that young that young kid how Gladden was focused on the buttocks of that one kid and and how the underwear or the pants rose up around the cheeks. I'm like, ew. ew. But but it, you to me it really you get a sense of the depravity of Gladden and the people like him because. What guy, what man would get sexually aroused over something just so innocent and yeah, it, it just just a, it, a baby. Yeah, it, and mm-hmm. so but but for mm-hmm. Michael Conley to go there really gives you a sense of gladness. But you know what's interesting is that the two of you read that and how it it um it kind of energizes your thoughts of of your or your anger on. Mm-hmm on understanding a, a creature like that or a monster like that. When I guess the reason why, because I know we were going to talk about why it, it, chapter seven didn't affect me in the same way that it affected you guys. I think it's because of all the television shows that I've watched. It's like you've seen, I'm, sens- I'm desensitized right. because I've seen so much evil on TV and mm-hmm. seen so much evil with children. And seeing some so much evil in real life, right. that for that scene, for me to read it, it's kind of like something I've seen or I've had happen to, or I've heard has happened before. Okay. So that I think you just helped me realize why I was not reacting to it the same way you all were. I, I guess I'm just looking at it, and that's a shame. I'm looking at it. That's that's like life. It's like no, normal monsters are out right, there. Right. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, I I don't know if the audio I don't know if we said this before, but chapter seven was my favorite chapter mm-hmm. um, for one or two reasons. The first reason is because I am an extreme visual person. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to uh, movies, when it comes to art, uh, even when it comes down to instructions, I'm the, I'm the kind of person that. I don't read the, the words on the instructions. I look at the pictures. Right. That's the kind of person I am. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're a visual learner. Um, I'm a visual. Mm-hmm. So when I read chapter seven, I literally can close my eyes and I can smell the salt water coming off the pier. Yes. Yes. I wow. can smell the pizza mm-hmm. that Glad that the lady puts in the oven when Glad orders. Puts her fingers on yes. it. Yes. Yeah. I can smell it. That's how descriptive Chapter mm-hmm. Seven is to mm-hmm. me. Now, albeit it's in a very graphic and horrific manner, mm-hmm. but the just the 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 illustration that. Michael Conley paints in your mind, mm-hmm. it's very vivid. Right. It's, and for me, it is. Mm-hmm. No. So that's why mm-hmm. Chapter 7, that's one of the reasons Chapter 7 has cultivated me so much. And then the second is I know Glad. We, we, we all know Glad's a creep. Glad's mm-hmm. a creep. Mm-hmm. He's a pedophile. He's a pedophile. Mm-hmm. We get that. Mm-hmm. Yes. But his cunning in the moment, mm-hmm. his, his mindset in the moment Again, I I, I I admitted it the first episode, the last episode, I have a dark sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when he's thinking about how I'm getting out of this, but the way he's getting out of it, it I, I I was cracking up laughing. Right, right. You know, who thinks about throwing a trash can in the in the, the water and think it's a body. To, 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 to come up with a well, distraction. And then yell, and then, man, what? But then but then to approach the two police officers on yeah. bikes, talking about he's over there. They need your backup. They need your backup. They need your backup. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
that just made me have a little bit of appreciation for the writing. Now, uh, the writing of Michael Connolly, but also the actual character in Gladden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he we, we, we get it. He's a creep. He's a pedophile. But his cunning in the moment mm-hmm. to have that surreal moment where one minute you're you're horrified at his his mindset, his psyche, mm-hmm. but then you have you have some kind of humor that you could pull from that. Yeah, definitely. I got it. The, the, the twofold. That's why chapter seven kind of resonated with me more than any other chapter so far. No, I get that. What I about totally you, get that. Did you, have, did you? What did you take from so far? Again, I want to slow down chapter seven because there was a lot in there. It was that. a lot in there. So mm-hmm. as we get into chapter seven, what did you think about chapter seven? So I totally agree with what Brother was saying, how Gladden was very smart. I wrote that actual note when he quickly saw one cop, the male cop, uh, kind of tailing him mm-hmm. and then he thought to himself all right well I know cops usually work in pairs while in the field where's the other one mm-hmm. and so he then took that and noticed the female cop as well right I can also just empathize with the fact that he's just super creepy like mm-hmm. just very creepy I just couldn't stop writing that in my notes too just I literally wrote the word ill for one of the ways that he was describing the the children there. Yes. yes. And but there was one thing that I wanted to ask you, Dad, which is going back to my earlier point about the these pedophiles having a network. Yes. So much to the fact that he could use resources from it. Do you see this a lot in any line of criminal work where there's a network of people that keep in contact with each other? Yes. Answer your question is yes, but it's more, is even more pronounced in very sub sub subcultures. Mm. And so once you find in the sub sub subcultures, once you find a way to do something, we share. Like you might share, hey, Macy's has something on sale, and we you know give our friends network. We all go to Macy's sell something. These subgroups do the same thing. And okay. again, Michael Conley went there because that is really true. These guys. These pedophiles, they have their own little network and they, like I said, they post on the board, hey, be on the lookout for this. Like, like, like Gladys said, stay away from that peer now because now that's hot because that one ticket person, you know, um, saw me taking, you know, you know. He assumes right. that it was the ticket lady. Well, it had to be. It, it, you know why you know it's the ticket lady? Because this is the brilliance. I call Michael Conley a sneak because he set you up in chapter three. Mm-hmm. Remember Gladden in chapter three thought mm-hmm. that she did see you. Right, he said, "Right, she didn't look back at me." So that's how you got to be. You know, that's what I'm when oh, I'm wow. talking about Michael Conley. Mm-hmm. That's how he slides stuff in. Mm-hmm. You know, but see, normally he foreshadowing there. Right, but see, mm-hmm. normally what he did for for me. So before then, and you can begin. You can see when I say before then on the prior books with Harry Bosch. It usually spans over five chapters. Mm. Now you see how good, or five to six chapters. Now you see how good he is because he slid it in in two chapters. You're like, whoop, wait a minute. He set you up with Glad with the left hand, and bam, like, oh, see, that was really important with the right, right hook. But I digress. I'm sorry. So yes, there is a, a network like that, and Michael Conley um, depicted it very well. I saw. Um, I addressing something Sydney said earlier, I did uh, kind of have a revelation to maybe Gladden is the one 
who um, killed Teresa just because she worked at a daycare center. Mm-hmm. She was around children. Maybe around this point in time, maybe Teresa was um, either you know dealing with children, and she probably caught the eye, or she probably he probably. She probably caught Gladden's eye at the time or something like that. Something toward that effect. Well, you say that because it might be true. Because remember, Gladden said, I'm going to give retribution to a lady, a teacher to mind her own business. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. He said, he, uh, from the book, he closed his eyes and leaned his head back against the wall. In, the, in his mind was at the carousel, approaching the ticket taker. He had his knife. He was going to teach her a lesson about minding her own business. That's what he was dreaming about mm-hmm. in relation to what he was going to do to that ticket lady. And I could just put Teresa in that same position. Of, I'm going to teach her a lesson to mind her own business while I'm being a pedophile. Well, what got me thinking is what if Teresa looked like the, the lady that was taking tickets? Mm. True. And but this seemed to me like this was after same. Teresa being yeah. killed. Like, we don't know. Later. We, don't, don't, we know. don't know. Yeah. yeah you know. We really don't know. You're right. We don't know the time. Like what time? What is happening yeah, when? Right. So you could you could be right. Maybe she was the ticket handler, but it just didn't say anything about her being a ticket handler mm-hmm. in the file. And, we'll, mm-hmm. and as we keep dissecting chapter seven, Mom, what did you think about how prepared Gladden was? in the eventuality he gets caught. Mm. Well, that kind of goes back to the network, is that that lawyer seems like he works with the network. Well, be, before even the lawyer, yeah, what, about, what about, what about, did you, did you, did you, what was your take on uh, keeping his keys separate? You know, not have his keys oh, on got you. The key was oh, the yeah, key because was. all right. of the stuff that was really could take him out, it was in his car, he said, his computer and everything. So he didn't keep his keys on him, Captain Wilwell. Mm-hmm. And he, I thought it was very, but he's a genius. I thought he, he's very smart. Yes. But you have to be smart to be a criminal and not get caught. Right. Mm-hmm. And you ha- I, I think most of these criminals who are monsters like him, are their psyche and their intelligence is off the charts. Right. Um, so I'm not surprised at all that he's that prepared and that he's able to deal with it. Another clue that stuck out to me was that he was in L.A., it seems like, yes. because he said that this was the Santa Monica Police Department. But he did mention that he saw no, from the book, he saw no way that he could have been tracked from Phoenix or Denver, mm-hmm. which Denver's where you know, everything oh, I missed that. has okay. been going on with our main characters. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Where mm-hmm. everything has been going on with our main characters. So it leads me to believe that this is after that uh, because that's where he killed Teresa. Mm-hmm. Right. right. My children are so insightful. <laughs> I'm like, y'all caught stuff I didn't even catch. I totally missed the whole thing. And I read them twice. I, did, I totally missed the fact that, um, that he said... That he, uh, you know, he he referenced Phoenix and Denver. Mm-hmm. Well, and so that's, we, that's very um, insightful. But so, is that what you said, Phoenix? Yeah, it was yeah. Phoenix and Denver. Mm-hmm. Denver. Mm-hmm. But also, how prepared yes. he was in the sense of um, he memorizing telephone numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Memorizing code yeah. names, um, yeah. knowing how what to do in certain situations. So knowing to turn. A certain way so the police officer couldn't see him take out his camera and clear the camera. Right. Um, uh, when he was in an interrogation room to keep calm, mm-hmm. uh, knowing what to say and how to say it, 
knowing who to talk to. He yes. knew how he knew that the male police officer was the hothead, mm-hmm. but the female police officer was the one who was in charge. T- was taking the lead. Right. So he knew to speak with her and totally ignore the right. other one. So the the preparation that he had in beforehand kind of alludes to his genius right and that he's been there before he's been there before yeah he's been he, arrested before on that mm-hmm. same line i also thought it was very impressive how he negotiated with the lawyer because <laughs> he wasn't willing to back down and he could tell that the lawyer you know was kind of had kind of met his match so i thought that like you said he was super super ready for this entire experience to go about as it did yeah. Well, I thought it was kind of funny how he had to wait. Well, he knew, he was cognizant enough to know that he had to get out of there before his prince came back. Right. Yes. And it just goes to show you the time difference between 1996 mm-hmm. and 2020, yes. where yes. prince come back immediately off right. of a database, yes. whereas you have to send off four fingerprints back in 1996. This wasn't just as immediate yes. as it is now. That yes. you can get 24 hours before something comes back. Yes. So he could have, in all actuality, been released by the time his prince actually came back. And that happened a lot back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. It happened a lot. And that was the advent of computers and that made law enforcement to really digitize a lot of information because Mm -hmm. of just that right there. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that happened was law enforcement had their own well, not to get too much in the weed, but there's something called NCIC, National Crime Index mm-hmm. Computer. And that's why they really, FBI maintains that. That's why they really pumped up the NCIC and everyone fed their, every every PD fed their fingerprints into this system for that reason. Not just fingerprints, but tags. Right. You know, if it was a wanted car in, 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 in New York, but we got a, the car is in now in Texas. If you run it, it, it comes back with immediate hit. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things. Yeah, it's more, it's just immediate. It's not even 24 hours. It's, yeah, immediate. it's immediate. Yeah, so. Um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, okay, so again, I want to I slow down chapter seven a little bit because Gladden, the fact that Gladden hubris also shows up a little bit because he said, you know, cops are dumb. Mm-hmm. You know, they're stupid. Yeah, cocking. You know, mm-hmm. they get what they deserve. And so to me, as being a prior cop, I look for um, a defendant or, or, or a suspect, excuse me, to think I'm dumb, mm-hmm. to underestimate me. Because, see, I'm not underestimated. Just like we all are not going to underestimate Gladden and we're going to step our game up. I think his hubris is going to be Gladden's eventuality. And again, no spoilers here. That's just giving you as, um, as, a, as, as police. I look for suspects to underestimate my drive my ambition to to take them down. And mm-hmm. I think his hubris shows here in Chapter 7. What, what I also thought was really funny when it comes to um, technology now is that you can't go up to a police officer on a bicycle and say, oh, they told me to come and get you. You can't do that. Don't you all have your radios and they wouldn't yeah, they would have they would have questioned that, right? Well, now today could have, but, but okay. it's, it's more likely then than it is now. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Daddy. He did talk about how he was worried about a cop posing in the jail cell with him, yes. or the holding cell while he was talking to his lawyer. Yes. Are you guys allowed to do that? Yes. Oh wow. Yes. It's probably happened to him before. Yes, and and and, 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 and you again, you got to look at privacy. You know, you 
you don't unless you have you, you affirm that you're talking to your lawyer and you we have plants we did that all the time um now laws changed a little bit but again we're talking about the 90s before a lot of different things came about but yeah it, that that did happen a lot and or someone who's a routine um criminal who just heard you know the gladden said you know hey make sure you run to my house because all the evidence is at my house you know i was living on you know so then so then he would go and say, give me, give me a deal because this guy, you better hurry up and get to his house because all this evidence against him is in his house. So that happened, jailhouse snitching, as they call it. Okay. But again, his preparation, that wrong identification, not to have anything where his computers could tie him into because all these pedophiles got to have that information, those pictures readily available. And so as we keep going into chapter seven, <laughs> I tell you, um, you guys, do you remember, well, I don't want to say his name, you remember my old partner that I had, and he left the financial unit to go to the Innocent Images mm-hmm. um, program with the mm-hmm. FBI, mm-hmm. and he told me some of the things that he saw that was just heartbreaking to him, and it really affected him to the point where he left the, you know, that particular unit, because there's a higher burnout rate in that particular unit. So then we, again, just to, to wrap up chapter seven, as Sidney just said, we now have Gladden talking to his lawyer, and his, and his lawyer, you know, has no compunction about representing and or mm-hmm. getting such a deviant out on back out on the, on the streets. You know, again, but it's all about money because the, the lawyer already said, you know, it's going to be a $50,000 bond, which is, which is going to be 5000 for you. He goes, I have no problem with that. He goes, oh. Well, then maybe my fee was too low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, there's, you know, there's no honor among thieves and criminals. It was interesting kind of zooming out of this book it, just to give the audience a little insight. Before we start this podcast, you three were watching Mindhunter. <laughs> oh, yes. And seeds from the Netflix show Mindhunter as well as seeds from The Wire with the lawyer um, of Avon Barksdale really brought me back it brought me back to this moment in the book Uh, or they were they were brought up while I was thinking about this part of the book because of the fact that there was that whole that for those who watched The Wire there was that whole um, seed in the first season where they're talking about the ethics of a lawyer yes. and, and who they represent and, and what you go into being a lawyer for. That lawyer was very smart. Like, he could have helped Glad and out give him all that information up front. It was a lot of information about the law, what they were allowed to do, what they weren't allowed to do, and how the system worked. Um, so he, it attests to him being a good lawyer, but he's not a good lawyer. He's a, he's a corrupt one. And then right. it... A lot of those same lies. It's very interesting to me. I wanted to look up how was where did Michael Colley pull from in terms of getting that descriptive with Gladden's mind. Yes. Um, did does he did he look at case files similar to what the writers on the Mindhunter Netflix show did? Right. Um, how did he position himself to be able to talk like that to to write like that? Okay. So the peer uh, that was the uh, the the whole chase. That was one aspect that I, I really uh, enjoyed in Chapter 7. But also, the interrogation. The interrogation mm-hmm. was, the, was the second part that I really, really 
enjoy just because like I said it showed the cunningness of Gladden, especially in the moment. Mm-hmm. Most yeah. uh most criminals, I'm not even gonna go uh too far into the pedophile, but most criminals don't have that cool, calm, collect mantra in that moment. Well let me help you out. They don't think they're gonna get caught. See Gladden Prepared to be caught. Right. So go ahead. So, so right. So that that was another part of his cunningness, especially in that moment, to know what to do and and where to go and who to. But the 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 absolute. I love how the chapter ended. Okay, go ahead. With um, it's a passage where uh, Gladden says, um, Gladden wished he had uh, his laptop with him. He wanted to sign on and talk to those on the network, those of his kind. Yes. He felt lonely in the cell. He thought that he might even start to cry, except that the man leaning against the other wall was watching him. He would not cry in front of him. Right. So even though, you know, in that moment, you can still feel lonely, yep. upset with yes. yourself. Right. And you need that vice to reach out to others as yourself. So, um, again, like you said, Pop, going back to... Um, reached out to people in the network that are like you right. or um, that have the same similarities that you do, that you have, um, glad one to reach back to that. Just yes. to be comfortable in that moment. And it's to show that even though you are a criminal, that there isn't, you know, jail isn't a place for comfort. No. It's no. not. Right. You, so you you still need to, to break out, quote unquote, from your um, from your vice in order to um, feel comfortable, and you know also just to put a, a a period on this chapter seven. Did you see how Gladden was just as knowledgeable, if not more so, than the police officers when it came to the law and yes. probable calls? Yes, and, you know, through the back of their face, you, yes. know, you know. Can I have my phone call now? Right, 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 uh, right. It, it, I asked for a lawyer. Right. I, I definitely. And didn't it creep you out? Since when did it become illegal? You know, the Supreme Court already said that a mother changing a body, a yes. baby's body, and I'm looking at it. So if you charge me, you got to charge the mother also with indecent exposure to right. the, the child. Like, Woo. wow. I know, right? <laughs> Again, Michael Connolly was not afraid to Woo. go there. Well, I mean, I guess it just also speaks to how these guys get away with it. Yeah. Right. Is that they, there's so much interpretation in the law that, um, that you just you, it, sometimes it leaves too many loopholes. Right. But that's what I was mm-hmm. telling you. Probably that's why I think the interrogation was the second best oh, part. Definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. Because in that moment, I mean, he actually stunned the the cops. Because the, the mm-hmm. they were thinking to themselves, "Well, you know, s, yes, there's nothing I can particularly." I he he, he, right. he got a point. Mm-hmm. Right, he got a good mm-hmm. point. So I, the fact that he stunned him, like that was like another like icing on the cake, cherry on the cake. Well, I just wanted to say one last thing about it. I thought it was so funny how in the end when he thought he had gotten away and he was sitting yeah. there dreaming about killing the ticket person and then he wakes up and looks and the cops are there. Right. And they, they you know, all of that, he still got caught. Still got mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, why did he stay so close? So although he is so smart, 
in my opinion, I wouldn't have been out in the public. Well, remember, his car was away from him. So. I, I know, but I wouldn't have been out where people would have been able to see me mm -hmm. to, to because that's easy for them. That, that would be the next thing they would do. Right. That kind of goes back to what you say about they think that you love it how criminals think the cops are stupid, but they still won in the end because they found him no matter right. how creative he was. Mm -hmm. So we're going through the the actual report of Lofton for the first time. Yes. And one of the things that Jack notices is how Sean is writing about Teresa. Yes. First, she's writing about her as a victim. Yes. Then it goes to Lofton, then it changes to Teresa, and by the end it's finally call he's finally calling her Terry, like her family and friends do. Right. And I was wondering, like, is this usual for a cop to get so super attached to a case? Is this how it comes out? Have you gone through a similar situation? Um, so I've heard of it. So I, it, I haven't lived it because most of my, you know, you usually have uh, two type of police officers, investigators of, of, victim, of, of a um, victim crime or victimless crime where society is the victim. Okay. So most of my experience were in the money laundering narcotic world. So society is the victim there. So it was more broad and it wasn't so personal mm -hmm. as if you're investigating a rape, murder, or, or, or some type of crime where there's an individual person there who you can actually visually um, see and investigate whatever happened to them. So right. my, I've heard of it happening, I'd never um, never got it to that um, point. The most I've ever came to something similar to that is when I was in the scout car and you write reports based on when you get to the scene. Right. But again, those are just preliminary reports who what went aware about an incident of a crime, then you would pass along to the criminal investigators. So, but as you, again, long dissertation, <laughs> I don't have any here, right? I, I talk so much. Um, not me personally. Got it. So as we started getting to chapter eight, Mom, I wanted to come back to you. And did you, what did you think about Sean and his, uh, his love life? Oh, poor thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's just a little lost. He's just, I don't think he has much of a love life. I well, mean, he's mean... working all the time and, um, and I just think he doesn't communicate with people very well. He was communicating with the girl. The door was closed at first. Did he open the door? I can't even remember. No, she knocked on the door. Mm -hmm. She I, knocked. I, I mean, did he open it or was yeah, he, he still it. okay? Yeah, but let, but remember, he, he blocked her. He blocked the the, um, the doorway so she couldn't see the stacks of paper. Right. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because he was worried about being a pack rag. Pack rag. Something happened to him. Yeah, I just think he doesn't have much of a love life. I don't think he knows how to. He doesn't have the same swag that his brother probably had. That was something probably different about them, too, is that he was shyer than his brother, hence why his brother's married and he wasn't. Right. So. Well, he said, he actually alluded to that uh, mm -hmm. with, the, with the, the, the neighbor down the hallway. They actually went to the, uh, we went skiing, they went to yes. the movies a couple of times. But the reason why those two didn't work out, he felt, was that, um, she was outdoorsy and he was outdoorsy and he needed to be the, he needed the opposite of him. Yes. He wanted somebody that was like an indoor house kind of a person. Mm. 
he wanted somebody opposite of him, and he felt like they were too much of the same kind of a person. So and actually, I'm going to say, go ahead. Do you guys, well, especially brother, do you feel, since you're single, but do you feel... <laughs> so, wait, I meant that in the best way possible. I was going to ask them because they already have the answer. <laughs> I meant not married. Okay, but, okay, um, okay. But <laughs> do you try, do you attract, do opposites attract for you or do you try to find somebody like-minded? I definitely... Um, I try to find someone that's that's my opposite because mm. what's what happens with me is it becomes a mundane if I find someone that's too much like me. Okay. Um, I I like someone that can balance me out. So I'm loud. We we I'm loud and rambunctious at times. So I like a, a little bit of a quieter person that can reel me back in. Mm. You know, from being loud. Um, I'm a I'm a I'm a natural home person. I mm-hmm. like being in the confines of my own home. So you know, to have someone be able to bring you outside mm-hmm. and do something that you enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, just further elevates me to that person. So I'm a I'm an opposite type of a guy, kinda personally. Like mm-hmm. Kind of like Jack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To that same point that brother was saying that he one of the reasons that he didn't pursue <clears throat> things with his neighbor was that she was too much like him. He also said that it was the job that got into the way of things too. Mm -hmm. And that said to me that he valued his job over a lot of things in life. I I think it's, he values it the most out of everything. Um, And, and that was kind of, not that it was sad to me, but it was kind of sad to me because in this chapter, we also start to get a sense of how his job is, up for grabs how people mm-hmm. are envious of him envious of him how his his writer knows or his editor knows to dangle that over his head right and that's what's going to make him move on something and it just it it made me question for me what is going to be my ultimate value in life and personally for me i don't want that to be my career we got it yeah no that's actually a really good point sydney but i also think a lot of it Um, has to deal with his emotional capacity. He he feels safe when he's writing. Hmm. He feels safe in that moment. And and he doesn't want to expand himself out to anything else because it protects his emotions. That's very fair. I mean, he had the chances to expand out of what he had originally been doing, Mm -hmm, but he mm -hmm. didn't want to. He didn't want to do it. That's very fair. Mm -hmm. And so also in Chapter 8, did you guys pick up on the... um, the pain of the parents. Mm-hmm. Well, not, I, I picked up on the pain of the parents, but I also was disappointed in the parents because I would not, I guess as a you parent- You hope you wouldn't. I, well, I, I hope I wouldn't treat my son that way because they don't realize how they're making him feel like they're punishing him because he's still here. He right. is the only sibling still here. But I don't, I mean, it's like they're automatically chastising him about doing something that he loves. Let's back, let's back up, back up. We, got, we sped up a little bit. So one of the things um, for the audience just to ride this boat, ride the, this wave with us, is that also in this chapter, uh, Sean gets a call from his mother. And one, she dings him by calling him John. I thought that was, when a parent, you know, go, is, is, you know have a certain name or a certain uh, affle- affle- with their voice or their deeds with their children, 
then they know, oh shit, things are serious. Yes. So Philip Vincent, I know <laughs> my ass is on fire. <laughs> If you get any of the nicknames, you're cool. But as soon as you hear P, Philip Vincent or, or Philip, I think it's more Philip with me because I always call you Philip Vincent. Yeah, yeah Philip. Yeah. But my tone with Philip, I'm just when I give that stern tone on the one name. Right. You now it's the opposite with Sydney. All your yeah. privileges, you just start <laughs> deleting in your head. All your privileges are gone. <laughs> but so you know, so the, the, now to, to bring to bring you up to where you were that. Um, his mother calls and says that she talked to Riley, and she, he has to be—he's going to be writing a story about how Sean um, died. Or about Sean's death. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I—I I think it, it was sad because they know he's a writer, right? And I guess if I understood my children, I am going to know wh- what helps them get through their own issues. Right. Like I think I know the two of you enough that if you were going through something, I would be able to know, okay, I, I know how they cope, right? And so writing is how he copes with everything. And for his parents to not understand that right. hurt because I felt like you don't even know him. Well, I'm going to actually, I'm going to go to the text um, on that one, Ma, because when he was initially talking to his mother and she didn't give him the approval, when she didn't give Jack the approval of, uh, him writing the story about Sean, it made me think back to earlier in that chapter, in chapter eight, where he was describing his apartment. Yeah. And he had different novels that he had started, mm-hmm. but he never finished. Mm-hmm. So there was one, There, I think he said there were, uh, Jack said there were two in his drawer and that there was one sitting by the printer, all of them unfinished. Right. Mm-hmm. So it just leads to me, so like you said, mom, that, Writing is his coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, he's not finishing coping. Got so it. that that elongated mm. hurt is still going to continue mm-hmm. until he finishes. And this could be that one opportunity that nobody's giving him the green light to complete to deal with his hurt. Because deal they're with dealing coping. with their own hurt. They deal with their own hurt. And, and I, but I, but I feel like as a mother, it's. It's especially with your sons, I would hope that she would be able to understand them both. But I think I don't know why she why she did not favor Jack, but she seemed to favor Sean and she she definitely favored her daughter. But I don't know what maybe they're going to tell us that later about why she didn't favor Jack. But. I just that made me sad mm-hmm. that she wasn't she wasn't understanding that this is what he needed to cope. And well, I, that, I felt bad the, for him. The father didn't even come to the phone. No. no. The He's, father, he, he was a little weak, yeah. Yeah, the father didn't even come to the phone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, wow. I mean, I expect us to stand up for our children. Sorry. So then as we progress in chapter eight, one of the things that we see again, the fruits of the Lexus Nexus um, search started Again, this is how one of the things that I love about Michael Conley, how he brings you along. He doesn't just, he's very sophisticated in his storytelling and how he brings you along and you get information in the most unexpected ways. Mm-hmm. And how we, how we got informed along with uh, Jack, the possibility that his brother now might not, his death might not have been a suicide, but a homicide. 
is what we got what happened to the Chicago police officer mm-hmm. who, who quote unquote committed suicide and it was almost exactly like Sean a great investigator who got sucked up in a case, a case with a ch- child mm-hmm. and all the similarities but then Michael again gives you that whole because you there because I don't know about you that whole Russia thing mm-hmm. before he said it I'm like oh, oh snap and I went back to the page where, in the chronological record, he said, you know, Russia, mm-hmm. you know, our Russia. Mm-hmm. So, like, it could it be, the, uh, you know, so, again, Michael kind of brings you along. Mm-hmm. No, it's really good. I see here, Sydney, that you have the Times was the holy grail of journalism. It seemed like you had a question there. Oh, it was more a note to myself that the I should start reading the Times because I love writing this I love reading this type of writing, and every time I do read a story of theirs, it's always said in such a very, uh, it's it's said more in a storytelling fashion than in the facts-based fashion that Jack hates. Mm-hmm. So I was highlight that to say, like, maybe I should subscribe and, and read some more of them. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to double tap on what Dad was saying about aspects of this case and go back to what I was saying about how is the poet finding out about these officers because he has to have some way, if we're acknowledging that there is a serial killer here, here are the clues that we're presented with first of how he's working at other places outside of Sean. So what are these places? What are some of the places that he could lead up information? Well, one, he could be a police officer who could be technically getting the information about these cases uh, that could be affecting a specific police officer in in a certain place. He could be somebody in psychiatry who is with, because in both of these stories, this police officer had also sought out treatment mm-hmm. and then he, he quote unquote killed himself. Mm-hmm. But then the other very interesting thing that I think we're going to hear a lot more about is the foundation, um, which I didn't know if it was connected to the FBI's behavioral science unit or if it was, yeah, I think it was. It's the foundation that is trying to figure out why cops are killing yes. themselves, how they kill themselves. And is he somehow connected to this foundation or calling in for inf- for, for information, keeping tabs on this. I, I, I thought to myself like maybe he is keeping tabs on this specific foundation similar to how a lot of serial killers keep tabs on the different news clippings or different articles out there about their killings. Right. So that's that's where my mind headed. So did anyone, one of the things I like about Michael Conley is that I get introduced to other um, artists, other theologians, other information that's out there. And I was never a Poe reader before. But did you anyone go and pull up uh, Edgar Allan Poe and this passage in the book in you know, reference to um, what was concerning Sean's death? You know, out of time, out of space, out of time. I did it only because, like, we had to study his works in English class in high school, and that stuff <laughs> was dark. Like, it's I mean, I'm not a person that likes to dwell in dark things, but I did respect the fact that Michael. Coddly knows tone very well. Okay. And if you're trying to establish a very dark tone in, in a book called The Poet, some of the darkest poetry I've ever read, and that's why it turns me off a little bit, is Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Well, to me, it just it, it showed um, the brilliance of Jack in the moment and how he mm. can relate the two or connect the two um, and have the insight of reading 
Edgar Allan Poe. But it actually, I didn't go back and read any more extra Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, yeah. Just because I wanted to savor the mm. when I when I read that in the past, it, it kind of react, it kind of made me feel a certain type of way. Right. Got it. So I it I don't want to break away from reading it in the moment. Got it. To reading it outside of the moment and being desensitized to it. Right. Because uh, I noticed that um, Michael Connolly gives us short passages in this particular chapter um, of Edgar Allan Poe's work. Yeah. And those short passages that he gives us, they like I said, they mean something. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. And you look into it. So I didn't want to break away. It's almost like breaking out of character. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to break mm. out of character to desensitize myself to what he's actually trying to make us in captions. Got yeah. it. Got it. So I didn't look up any um, poetry of Edgar Allan Poe's afterwards either. I think it's for the same reason that Sidney had. It's been years since I looked at his poetry, but it is very dark. Right. And I don't need to be sad. You know? <laughs> so I just was like, I, okay, it's, it's, this is a connection to the book. And I just want to stay with that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I did think it was powerful on how, you know, they were able to connect the the lines. I thought it was ingenious of Michael Connolly on how he came up with this concept that someone would even think this way. Mm-hmm. One, go ahead, go ahead. one thing I really like about Michael Carley's writing is his pacing. He's very good. I haven't felt bored ever yes. with yeah. anything that he has done, but I can always tell the mark of a good author when you, when you, the character's heart is racing, your heart is racing, and in that mm-hmm. moment that he was starting to put things together like I was also reading very quickly I was yes. also just <laughs> yeah. like yes. and, and when and there was this one point where he thought that a piece of the poem was from the same poem of the other cop and when it yes. wasn't he was so frustrated I was like ah oh, you were so close yeah but then the then the librarian was like oh but wait and then it's like oh, and then he actually reveals that that was from another Edgar Allan Poe poem um, and, and I felt that same relief that Jack did, the same anxiousness that he brought to his editor about continuing all with the story. So that, that just was a mark of really great writing to me. But also, did anyone else notice how, especially in this chapter, Jack is, when, when he's, especially in the newsroom, he's very, um, he, he notices that, you know, when he first comes in, no one is really there yet. Yeah. And then people start to flow in, usually around 9 o'clock. Yeah, right, right. Um, and then while he's reading the articles in the various newspapers, even no, uh, when he's reading the, um, the things that the, the librarian sent him, he's, he's very, he's in tune to what he's reading, but he's also in tune to what's going on around him. So yeah, he just yeah, keeps yeah. looking up to see who's looking at me. Or he'll look down and he'll look up to see what the editor is doing. Right. Um, he's very in tune. Uh, and that's, that's, that was one of the, another thing that kind of 
made me have like a little little red flag about Jack. Because why are you looking around so much, bro? What you suspicious about? What's somebody taking his job? Right, what's, I, 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 I get that, but what, why, why you gotta look around? What, what's, what's going on? What you got to hide? Everybody's a suspect. What you got to hide, bro? Even his twin brother. What you got to hide? So he he could have been jealous of the relationship his mother had with his sister oh, and his brother. You know, you, I, I'm just saying, if I was you a twin, a if I was a twin and my mom treated my twin, you know, better than she treated me, I, I, I you know, it might make you think a couple of things. You know, I, <laughs> I'm not advocating, you, I'm not advocating you take out your twin, but I'm just saying, you know, it does make you do some crazy things. And then, you know, so uh, it's just uh, I, 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 I'm joking, but no, I didn't notice that either. how Jack, yeah. he's very into it. He can still be in tune with his work, but very, very much aware of his surroundings, yeah. especially in a, a busy place like a newsroom or editorial room where it's a lot going on. Right. And you still have the know with all to be in tune and still know what's going on around you. But you know, in as we come to the conclusion of this podcast, one of the things that I, I kind of at a, as reading Michael Connelly's book, so far he's wrote four books about Harry Bosch, who was a detective. Now you get a sense of his world. He's mm-hmm. writing more of his world, the newsroom, the the back and forth with his editors, the 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 reading of other of uh, uh, newspaper articles to say I could have did that better. I could have did right. this better. Mm-hmm. You know. So again, I had no sense of. If his real life depiction of police officers mm-hmm. in writing, and I'm giving it a thumbs up bona fide is correct, then I'm assuming he's doing the exact same thing when it comes to in the newsroom and news articles and how mm-hmm. to be a reporter. And so now that brings me to a world that I never had any clue of. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that, and as we close out, I want to ducktail bring everyone back to what Sidney said from the book. As I type, the picture of my brother kept coming back to me. Now that it was sterile, lifeless photo bothered me. For I had believed in, in the impossible. I had let him down. And now I have a keen sense of guilt. My brother was in that car. My twin. It was me. You had said guilt, you know, for his last four chapters. It, guilt was the uh, all-encompassing. Uh, 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 I'm going to say big idea. Big idea. It came up three times. Yeah, Mm -hmm. guilt, guilt, guilt just kept coming up in these last four chapters. But the the question I have is, where does the guilt lie? Does the guilt... (laughs) (laughs) Does the guilt lie because you killed him? Because you took out your own brother? Or is the guilt? Where, where, where is the guilt coming from? That's where I want to go. Maybe survivor guilt. Maybe it's guilt that he left his brother. Well, yeah. I also think it's guilt that he even thought his brother would commit suicide. Yeah, I think it's, yes, I think it's a lot of different types of guilt. But there's a spectrum, right? Brothers talking about the spectrum of killing someone. I definitely fall on the the, the middle ground of survivor's remorse. But I think a, a piece of that is that he made the mistake of earlier two chapters before within these these four set of chapters thinking that it coming started to come to peace with the fact that his brother had actually killed himself right right but when, also but the guilt in not knowing your brother enough to know that that's he was capable mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. um yeah. it's something to feel guilt because maybe you weren't there you weren't there to stop them right uh you could have said something or done something but it's another 
another element of guilt where you you had no idea of knowing right uh, mm-hmm. that they were capable of even doing such mm-hmm. a thing mm-hmm. so that's that's I, I'm joking but that's the initial question of guilt I'm I'm pondering now is is he feel guilt of him not knowing his brother enough or him feeling guilt because he didn't do enough to prevent his brother from doing that to himself. Right. And I hope later we're going to find out um, in regards to guilt, you know, because I would hope that these police officers who worked with Sean would feel a bit guilty over the fact that they didn't, um, <laughs> look so, harder. you know, look harder, right, you enough. know, that his brother had to go do that. But I, I hope it also explains, you, it makes me think about the fact that maybe um, the police officers are scared. Maybe they know something that Sean is not aware of yet. Maybe they're Jack. scared. I mean, Jack is not aware of yet. Maybe they're scared. Maybe that's what's going on with the park ranger. Maybe mm. that's what's going on with anyone who was involved in this from law enforcement. They may know something that, that nobody else knows, and maybe that's why they're trying to leave it alone. Mm. But mm. I don't know. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. Mm-hmm. If everybody's noticing... And keeping a tally, my tally is on Jack and St. Louis. Those are my two tallies, Jack and St. Louis. So as we come to end of this podcast, as we know, I do what everybody counts or nobody counts person. So, Phil Vincent, who is your everyone counts person or no one counts person for chapters five through eight? Um, actually, I have two. So my first one is definitely Gladden with the whole chapter seven. That was my highlight uh, person. But then my unsung person was, <clears throat> excuse me, was uh, Jack's uh, editorial. Uh, editor. Editor. Mm-hmm. Um, how he's, you can see how he's trying to work with Jack. Yeah. Um, and and he's, he's trying to use Jack to get a story, a big story, but also he wants to give Jack an opportunity to grieve. Right. Um, to come into the fold a little bit slowly. He knows that there are other young guns in the newsroom that want Jack's spot. But he wants to give Jack that opportunity to be the the the, the reporter, be the newsman that he know he can be. So I thought that was pretty cool. There's a nice little um, a nice little um, back and forth between uh, his editor and Jack, Jack and the editor, right. where you know he he basically outlines it for Jack, where he's like, hey, look, you know, I know you want to do this thing that you get off your chest, but I need a reporter. Mm-hmm. And there's other people in there that can do your job. But I need you to do it. I need right. you to do your job. Right. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool because that brings Jack back to reality whereas, hey, I know I have a job to do but I also want to solve this problem with my brother and I can collab with you. So I thought that was a, 
a good way of the editor to collab the two together. Mm-hmm. Give Jack that opportunity, but also put the onus back on Jack that, hey, I need you to do your job. Got it. So do you have an everyone counts or no one counts person? Yes. Again, I have two where Teresa is still the biggest person in my mind just because I feel connected to her and I think that these two cases are going to unravel, not unravel, but we're going to peel back the layers piece by piece together. But the other person is Wex because Mm. I already see him starting to soften up and show Jack the things that he needs to know to really put this case together. I feel like he knows more. And the more that Jack can approach him without St. Louis, the more information I think he's going to get that's going to put together the pieces that he needs to as he goes back. We already saw him going back, retracing his steps, writing down everything that he already knew about the case just from a different angle. I think he's definitely going to retrace his steps and going back to people like Wex, who he had previously questioned on the basis of this being a suicide, but now he's going to question them on the basis of it being a murder. Mm. Mom, what about you? I'm going to say Laura Prime. The librarian. And the reason why is because she brings everything together. Mm -hmm. She did the research. She left the, she's who gave the New York Times to Jack. Um, She's the one who says that, hey, it may not be in this poem, but I found it in another poem. She's the one who opened up the the Pandora's box for me. So I just, although she had a small role in these chapters, I felt like she kind of brought the big moment in the chapters, and the big moment wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for, for her. her. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, my, mine actually is Detective Deploy in the um, in the interview, the female detective mm-hmm. who was interviewing Gladden, mm-hmm. and the fact again, I like the fact how Michael Colley even said back then in 1996, usually as a man who's doing these type of things, kind of strange or not strange but uncommon for a female mm-hmm. and the fact that she kept holding Schweitzer off right. from beating because <laughs> then the case would be blown because right. mm-hmm. even Gladden said please just hit me because then I'm really going to my case is going to be good to go the fact of the matter is she didn't get um, uh, so emotional that she lost her cool and again from a guy who's high headed and appreciates someone who can bring me back to the center I like her style. I like her as being as a, a good criminal investigator. Mm-hmm. This concludes chapters five through eight review of the poet. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast during these turbulent times in America. And I hope this podcast provided some relief for you and yours. I believe in America, and I believe if we all stick together, we will get through this. Also, we'd like to ask you to continue to go to Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And as you always have been doing, continue to rate us five stars or better. And please, please, please leave comments. Again, during this crazy time in America, leave comments. If you want us to talk about something more particular while we break down the poet, we definitely will do it. Me and the family really appreciate your feedback, and your feedback helps this podcast to continue to grow. Also, join us at www.com. 
at thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content, where you will find more detailed experience concerning Jack McAvoy and Michael Conley. So next up on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we will continue our deep dive into the poet. I'm Philip Parker. I'm Cheryl Parker. Philip Parker. Cindy Parker. And we're 10-7 for the remainder. <laughs>